Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Himan Vipritche Vishabhya Vipra Itikrityatayam Saravatmanam Riyamanaishakrityam Shudham Chatatram Rishathabhi Yukta O trustworthy Brahmins, I now ask you about my immediate duty. Please, after proper deliberation, tell me of the unalloyed duty of everyone in all circumstances, and specifically of those who are just about to die. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. In this verse, King Parikshit has placed two questions before the learned sages. The first question is, what is the duty of everyone in all circumstances? And the second question is, what is the specific duty of one who is to die very shortly? Of the two, the question relating to the dying man is most important because everyone is a dying man, either very shortly or after 100 years. The duration of life is immaterial, but the duty of a dying man is very important. Maharaj Parikshit placed these two questions before Shukadev Goswami, also on his arrival, and practically the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam, beginning from the second canto up to the last Twelfth Canto deals with these two questions. The conclusion arrived at thereof is that devotional service of the Lord Sri Krishna, as it is confirmed by the Lord Himself in the last phases of the Bhagavad Gita, is the last word in relations to everyone's permanent duty in life. Maharaj Parikshit was already aware of this fact, but he wanted the great sages assembled there to unanimously give their verdict on his conviction, so that he might be able to go on with his confirmed duty without controversy. He has especially mentioned the word shuddha, or perfectly correct. For transcendental realization or self-realization, many processes are recommended by various classes of philosophers. Some of, there are, some of them are first-class method, methods, some of them are second- or third-class methods. The first-class method demands that one give up all other methods and surrender unto the lotus feet of the Lord, and thus be saved from all sins and their reactions. Translation, O trustworthy Brahmins, I now ask you about my immediate duty. Please, after proper deliberation, tell me of the unalloyed duty of everyone in all circumstances, and specifically of those who are just about to die. 
Srimad Bhagavatam, which is sometimes called the Paramhamsa Samhita, the commentary of the Brahma Sutra by Vedavyas himself, the author of the Vedas, is a dialogue between Maharaj Parikshit and Srila Shukadeva Goswami. And the prime topic of all of the twelve cantos of Srimad Bhagavatam is the answer to these two questions. <clears throat> what is the unalloyed duty of everyone in all circumstances? And specifically, what is this prime duty of one who is about to die? The Srimad Bhagavatam is considered to be the most important scripture because these two questions specifically pertain to each and every one of us. People do not like to discuss the topic of death. Why? Because of fear. Because they know it is for them and they do not want to admit it. They want to hide their eyes hide their consciousness from the inevitable fate of these material bodies that we consider to be ourselves. Maharaj Parikshit was cursed to die in seven days. Therefore, upon this death notice, he could no longer hide from the fact. He had to face the reality of death that was standing right before him. Actually, Maharaj Parikshit was such a powerful king and mystic. He could have counteracted this curse. He could have avoided the situation if he so wanted. But he did not want. For two reasons. One, he was a compassionate man. And he wanted to set an example for the world to follow. Krishna says in the Gita, what great men do, the common men will naturally follow in their footsteps. Just like in a family, every son imitates the father when he's young. Every daughter imitates the mother. Because in their eyes there is no one greater. They want to be just like them. Usually when they become teenagers, they want to be just the opposite. But when they're young and they still think that their parents are great, they want to be just like them. If their parents smoke cigarettes, they'll wait until their parents leave and they'll start putting cigarettes in their mouth and looking in the mirror thinking, ah, just see, I am smoking cigarettes. The parents keep liquor in the house, they'll wait till their parents leave, then they'll sleek and take and say, ah, just see, I'm, I'm a, I'm a grown-up now, I'm drinking. If they see the parents chanting the holy names of God and worshipping the deity, then they'll be very anxious to chant the holy name of God and worship the deity. Just like we saw Friday night, our little Priyavrat, Pridayananda Prabhu and Radha Priyan Mataji's little boy, he saw his grown-up father dancing and chanting the holy name in the middle of the circle. So he jumped in the middle of the circle and began to dance and chant. Like father, like son. <laughs> 
Therefore, the prime duty of a parent is to behave in such a way that the child will naturally be a devotee of God and perfect its life. And the important responsibility of a king is that he sets the, the highest personal example for everyone to follow. And therefore, Maharaj Pariksit accepted the death notice gratefully because he knew he could render great service to all of his citizens and for all men for all time to come. And another thing is this, that Maharaj Pariksit understood that duration of life is not very important, but quality. It is said in the Srimad Bhagavatam, better one moment of full consciousness of the truth than a long, long life simply dreaming in an illusion. A few years back, I was in Northern California, and I went there for a specific reason. Because Srila Prabhupada uses in his purport sometimes the example of when he went to Northern California and saw the redwood trees, some of them five to seven thousand years old. And he explains what is the use of such a life? Seven thousand years just standing there in a practically unconscious state. Whereas Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived 48 years, but what kind of 48 years was it? Shankaracharya only lived 32 years. Lord Jesus Christ, 31 years. And just see the mark that they made on the world. Just see the dignity of the purpose of their lives. In America, there's a famous television show. And every day, it's a news show. And millions of people watch it. And every day, this newsman finds somebody in America that's over 100 years old. And on their birthday, he puts their picture on the television and tells a little about them. And most of them, what do they do? They play cards. They play checkers. They don't know what to do. They're simply existing. They're surviving with no purpose, with no aim, simply trying to avoid death day by day by day. Maharaj Pariksit did not want to be such a person. Who thinks about those people after they die? They're gone. They're forgotten very soon in the pages of history. But these great souls, they are remembered even 5,000 years later. So Maharaj Pariksit spoke on behalf of you and me. And an intelligent person, a wise man or woman, will identify with the teachings of the Srimad Bhagavatam will know that this is just the problems I have to face and these answers are absolutely essential for me to be very attentive to hear and to assimilate. Of course, if someone does like this, they will be considered mad. 
but throughout history that has always been. The materialistic people who are simply seeking the immediate pleasures of the senses and some position in this is ever-changing society will always think that anyone who is looking for something eternal, anyone who is resisting from the illusory pleasures of this world to seek something beyond the senses is crazy. He's mad. Shukadev Goswami, the narrator of Bhagavatam, who's considered the crest jewel of all wise men throughout history, he was considered by the common people to be a crazy fool. It is described when he was walking through the forest, people thought he was a madman because he just didn't care about the things everybody else was striving so hard for. They spit on him. They threw stool and urine on him. They threw stones at him. They ridiculed him with all sorts of insulting words. But he could not care less. Why? Because he knew what is the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to serve the supreme truth and to be faithful to the supreme truth in all circumstances. Sometimes people would also insult our devotees and they would approach our Guru Maharaj and they would say, Srila Prabhupada, people think we're crazy. And he said, that is because you are crazy. But they are crazy too. Who in this world is not crazy? Everyone is crazy. One man is crazy about a woman. A woman is crazy about a man. Or we're crazy about money, or job, or getting some big position, or about studies. Some are crazy to taste the sweet everlasting bliss of love of God. But everyone's crazy for something. And the materialists will always think the spiritualists are crazy and the spiritualists will always think the materialists are crazy. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. But the most important thing is in this human form of life, we give our existence some sense of dignity and understand what is truth, what is reality, and we live for that. Srila Prabhupada would tell us, the dogs will bark, but the caravan must pass on. We must go on with our business. What is the real business of life? The real business of life is to transcend the designations of this illusory world and understand who am I. <clears throat> Nationalism is something very, very big throughout the world. That we are Indians. We are Pakistanis. We are Americans. We are Russians. We are Israelis. We are Jordanians. All this nationalism is simply causing so much separation amongst human beings. The spiritual principle is that we are all children of the same God. We're all brothers and sisters. Why are we dividing ourselves in this way? And women, they want their liberation. And men want their control. 
the separation of sexes, the separation of nations, the separation of religions, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Zoroastrians, Sikhs. Man is very expert at dividing and creating chaos. What to speak of the separation of castes. Keep the low down and keep the high up. If I see someone of a lower caste, I will become polluted. What is this? It is all the bodily conception of life. And this bodily conception of life is a great illusion. And what is it that perpetuates the bodily conception of life? Sense gratification. You cannot give up being a part of this terrible dividing principle as long as you're attached to sense gratification. Because sense gratification reinforces the illusion that I am this body and my enjoyment is through these senses. This body is ever-changing. Who am I? What is the truth? We're crazy for our senses. This is insanity. Insane is when you think you're someone you're not. Who am I? According to all the great scriptures, all the great saints throughout history, we are the eternal soul. We are the consciousness. Even from a logical scientific platform, a vision, we can understand this. That I am the conscious awareness which is giving life to this body. And the conscious awareness, the Atma, is part and parcel of the Paramatma, or the soul. And to free ourselves from these illusory designations and understand our true essence, that is truth. That is the eternal Dharma, or occupation, of every living being. To live according to our true essential nature. Jivara Swarupoy Krishna Renitya Das that we are the eternal loving servants of God or Krishna. Today is the disappearance day of Narottam Das Thakur. In the temple this afternoon we were narrating some of the beautiful pastimes of his exemplary life. There is one very, very special incident that took place in his life which explains how this great Acharya stood very strong to give people an understanding of what is beyond the external bodily designations of life. And the Lord personally arranged for him to be put in a certain situation just for this purpose for our understanding. Narottam Das Thakur appeared about 450 years ago. And he was born in a Kayasta family. The Kayastas were very, very wealthy, generally. And because they were so wealthy, they were large, large landowners. And therefore, they were like kings. 
They had so much control. But by caste, they were considered sudras, the lowest of all castes. And of course, in spiritual circles, they had no recognition whatsoever because of their low caste. But Narottam Das Thakur, by the grace of God, was given such deep realizations of loving service to the Lord. While he was living in Vrindavan, he was very wonderfully trained by Jiva Goswami to learn the scriptures scrutinizingly. And he also had such beautiful, beautiful, loving sentiments toward Krishna that he was always immersed in uplifting others to bring them closer to loving God. And therefore, although he did not aspire for any position in this world, when he went to Bengal on the order of the Vaishnavas in Vrindavan, thousands and thousands of people, all classes of men, came to his lotus feet and surrendered their lives. His love, his compassion, his devotion was simply melting everyone's hearts. And even the most learned Brahmins became his humble and menial disciples and servants. And there were certain classes of high-class Brahmins who were Brahmins by birth and name but not by quality at all that became very angry with him. They considered he was an insult to the Vedic tradition that a sudra is giving initiation to Brahmins. This is a total um, blasphemy to the dignity of our religion and our tradition. So these men made plots to murder him. And not only that, but they were constantly blaspheming him and insulting his followers. But as far as he was concerned, he was following in the footsteps of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Naham vi prona cha narapatira napi vaishona shudra naham varanina cha grihapatira no gadatavritira va. Gopi bhartur padakamalayor das das anudas. I am only of one position, the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant of Krishna. That is the eternal reality of the soul. Everything else is an illusory designation. For social conventions, there is merit to these designations. But it is the true quality of the heart that makes us dear to God. The quality of humility and devotion. So Narottam simply continued to preach the message of Sri Chaitanya and Lord Sri Krishna as powerful as ever. And his devotees were going out having grand, grand celebrations every day, bringing people into the fold of the Sankirtan movement of chanting the holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But these caste Brahmins became infuriated more and more and more. And although they attempted many times to kill him, they were not successful. So alas, they decided they would have the king, under social pressure, imprison him and stop him from his nefarious activities. 
So there was a king at the time of the name that is, uh, don't remember his name, Narasimha something. And this king, he was approached by the Brahmins and they said that this man is ruining our religion, he's polluting people's minds, he's corrupting people, he has no right even to chant these mantras, what to speak of initiating high-class people and bringing them down to his level. He must be punished, he must be imprisoned, he must be stopped. So the king sent a message to Narottam explaining what the complaints against him were. And Narottam Das Thakur sent a letter back to the king. It was so humble and so gracious. He said, my dear king, I am only executing the order of God to abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender to him. Sarvadharaman Purityajya Mamekam Shuranambraja Ahantvam Sarvapapibyo Moksha Ishamimasucha And he quoted the Shastra to explain that one who truly takes shelter of the holy name is beyond all these distinctions. And he explained, and according to the Shastra, this I can prove. Bring all of these Brahmins, you come yourself, let us have a debate on the basis of scripture. So this king, reading this letter, there was so much humility and compassion in which he wrote it, that just by touching the letter that Narotandas wrote, the king's heart began to melt. And he said, why don't we just accept the challenge? And he brought the most stalwart of all scholars of his kingdom. And he called all of these high-class Brahmins who were complaining about him and said, let us all go. And of these Brahmins, there was one who was super excellently empowered in knowledge. His name was Rupa Narayan. And he had a great vendetta against Lord Chaitanya's people because some years before, he was defeated by Jiva Goswami and Vrindavan. So they all decided to go to the village of Narottamdas Thakur to defeat him in debate, and they wanted the king to come and see with his own eyes so he would punish this rascal. So they went on their journey to Ketri. And meanwhile, Narottamdas understood that these men were coming, <coughs> delegation of the king and hmm, two of Narottam Das Thakur's very very pure associates and devotees disciples they made a plan on their own they made this plan they were both Brahmins and what they did is they disguised themselves as very simple shudra workers. One dressed as a potter, one who makes clay pots, and the other as a seller of betel nuts. And they set up their little stand, not in Ketri, but in a little village just in the outskirts. And they wore real poor clothes, and they had their little shacks, and they were just sitting selling. And as the procession of the king and the great scholars came by, 
They called him over. Please, you have been traveling a long time. Have some betel. Please come, buy some of my pots. So after a long journey, they were in need of these things. So they came. And as the potter and the betel salesman were, were explaining what they had, they spoke in perfect, pristine Sanskrit language. And these scholars were thinking, how is this possible? Nobody knows Sanskrit except the highest Brahmins. These are sutras. They're speaking perfect Sanskrit. They asked him, where did you learn this Sanskrit? Oh, here in Ketri, everybody knows Sanskrit like this. This is the place of Narottam Das. What? Narottam Das? That rascal? That debauchee? That ruiner of religion? That godless man? Do you know what he's done? What has he done? He's ruining our religion. He's initiating Brahmins. Little do they know that they were speaking to the two most high-class Brahmins that he initiated. And he's a Shudra. He should be cleaning the streets. Huh? On what basis do you say this? On what basis? They started quoting slokas from the scripture. And these two simple shopkeepers began quoting Sanskrit verses to utterly defeat everything they were saying. To prove to them that everything, all the verses they were quoting was totally out of context. And being grossly misused. And the scholars were completely ashamed. And they looked at the king and they didn't know what to say. And then the king said, well, Rupa Narayan, you're the greatest amongst all of them. Talk to these shopkeepers. You men are big, big, big Brahmin scholars. And Rupa Narayan began to present his arguments, and he was totally humiliated in utter defeat. And they all just looked at the king with their heads down, just totally ashamed. They were practically in tears. And then the two shopkeepers revealed that actually we are the disciples of Narottam Das. And the king looked at these people and said, if these disciples of Narottam Das defeated you so totally, what do you think their spiritual master is going to do to you? better that we all just go fall at his feet and surrender to him. And that is just what they did with no arguments. They went into Ketri with straws between their teeth and humility. They fell at the lotus feet of Narottam Das Thakur and begged his forgiveness and became his initiated disciples. And Narottam taught them that one who sincerely chants the holy name of God and through this process develops love of God, he has attained the supreme perfection of life. He has fulfilled the ultimate destination and he is carrying in his heart the ultimate joy and bliss of Krishna's love. Just chant. 
हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 बिकॉज दिस इज द कंक्लूजन ऑफ आवर स्क्रिप्चर कृष्ण सेज इन द गीत अहम एव वेजो वेदांत कृत वेद वेदेव चाहम that i am the compiler of the vedanta i am the knower of the vedas and by all the vedas i am to be known and how is krishna to be known jeto darpana marajanam bhava mahadvagni nirvapanam shreya kairava chandrika vitaranam vijavadu jivanam आनंद but according to the scripture it doesn't compare to the importance of the chanting of the holy name because after all to worship the deity there are so many rules and regulations if somebody dies in your family if somebody is born in your family certain parts of the month for women you just can't do it what to speak of when you're traveling in a train or when you're at your job you just can't do it and to follow all the rules and regulations to properly worship the deity most people just can't do it therefore in the age of dwapa yuga the worship of the deity is the recommended process for everyone But in Kali Yuga, there is only one truly recommended process. Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kalo Nasteva, 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 Gatiran Gita. The chanting of the holy name of Lord Hari. Therefore, when we connect our consciousness, our hearts, with God's name, and by the grace of the Lord, we acquire these the purifying effects of this chanting then that natural tendency to serve the guru to serve the vaishnavas to serve the lord to serve every living being in love and devotion awakens in our heart and that consciousness becomes the motivating force of everything we do very foolish people not understanding what is self realization they think that if you become too religious or too spiritually advanced or you associate with saintly people too much you will be ineffectual in providing the necessities to your family and performing your responsibilities to your occupation and to the society but that is total ignorance love is a far greater motivating force than greed without god consciousness you're motivated by faded by greed 
And with Krishna consciousness, you're motivated by love. If you love your family, you will not maintain them. If you love your society, you will not perform your responsibilities. But you'll actually be contributing something wonderful rather than simply taking, taking, taking and saying, just see what I'm doing for the world. I'm taking. Huh? Srila Prabhupada used to tell us that in the material world, people say that they're giving so much, but if you don't pay them, they won't give anything. But a spiritually minded person, he is giving the best of everything he has simply for the pleasure of Krishna in all circumstances in life. And therefore, he's content, he's peaceful, he's blissful under any condition. The dangerous circumstances of this world are inevitable. Whether you're a gross atheist, whether you worship the demigods, or whether you worship the ultimate person, Purushottam, There's going to be dangers, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be problems. That is the nature of this world. And you'll never change the nature of this world, but you can change your heart. That you have the power to do tonight, right now, if you so feel its necessity. And if we learn to transcend the illusory designations, that are keeping us bound to the sufferings of this world, then let what happens happen, but we will be above it. We will be beyond it. We will be experiencing something deeper and higher through the circumstances of birth, old age, disease, and death, the inevitabilities of this world. And that is the goal of life. Change what you can for the better. But the greatest change is to change a man's heart. And that begins by changing our own heart. This evening, someone was inquiring from me, why should you put so much emphasis on Krishna? He had 16,100 <laughs> wives. He was stealing butter. He was telling his friend Arjuna sometimes not to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth by relative standards of truth. Why Krishna? Krishna explains in the Gita, Avajananti mamudha manum simtanam ashrata param avamajananto mamabhuta that people who are uninformed, they consider Krishna to be an ordinary man. But the history in which we learn about Krishna's life, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Padma Purana, the Bhagavad Gita, if you're going to accept the history of his life, it ha you have to accept what it says about him. 
Krishna showed Arjuna the universal form. Can you do that? Can you display a form where all the universes are being devoured through your mouths? Can you re reveal the form of almighty time, the ultimate destroyer of everything that exists within this creation? Can you lift Govardhan Hill with the little finger of your left hand for seven days effortlessly? Some people believe this must be mythology. How can this be true? Because I cannot do it, nobody can do it. What kind of an egomaniac mentality is this? If you could create the entire universe, you could do that too. But if you cannot create the universe, don't think you can compete with God. Don't try to bring him down to your standards. <laughs> Krishna had 16,108 wives, that is true. Because these queens were rendered unchaste by being kidnapped by Bhomasura. And no one would ever marry them because of that. But they were great devotees of the Lord who were always praying in love and devotion. So to save them from the humiliation of being widows the rest of their life, he accepted all of them as queens because nobody else would do it. But in such a wonderful way that he expanded himself into 16,108 forms and every queen was thinking that Krishna is only with me. Can you do that? Show me the man that can satisfy one wife in this world. I have, I have never seen it. And I've traveled many continents. And as a sannyasi, I see with very unbiased eyes. I'm on nobody's side. It's not possible. You cannot satisfy a woman. And a woman cannot satisfy a man fully. But Krishna fully satisfied to their satiation point 16,108 simultaneously. How is that possible? It's simple. He is the absolute truth. Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, Pavitrami Damutamam, Pratikshavagamam Dharamam, Shushukam Karatamavyayam. And just as Krishna could manifest in so many wonderful ways, Achintya Shakti, nothing is impossible for that Supreme Lord who has created the sun and the moon, who has created the earth, who has created the oceans and the air has created all species of life. Is there anything impossible for such a personality as this? Nothing. But what is his greatest gift? That although he has created this entire cosmic manifestation just to allow us to try to fulfill our desires, because our natural position is that we are spiritual. As long as we're trying to enjoy separate from Krishna, we are like a fish outside of the water. We'll never be satisfied. It's not our nature to be apart from God. The eternal spirit soul can never be satisfied by temporary arrangements of enjoyment in this world. They have a beginning and an end, but we have no beginning and end. 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has explained the greatest of all the benedictions of God is that he has expanded himself, manifested himself in full within the sound of his name. And at every moment, whoever we are, whether we're a beggar in the street or whether we're the king of the land, whether we're a PhD scholar or illiterate, man or woman, these things have no relevance. God is non-different than his name in all circumstances. And if we simply chant the holy name of the Lord, we can be in the divine presence of the Lord. Our hearts become purified. This is the greatest, most inconceivable gift that is upon all of us. When we associate with the Lord's devotees, we hear his glories, we chant his names, the path of truth is opened into our lives. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Ram Hari.